Welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a little bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of the Burn Orange Nation Podcast Network. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast feed. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the big players in podcast news. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, White Iverson himself, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh man, I am uh I'm doing fantastic. Uh I have uh if I think I'm a month in now, Gerald. I have been married for an entire month, so we can maybe have a segment on the podcast where based on my extensive experience over these past few weeks, I give advice cuz obviously as my wife, I sure would attest. I know everything. I'm not going to add anything to that because I've been <laughs> married for 5 years and I know that there's nothing but bad that comes of this conversation. Uh so <laughs> We've, we're coming to you a day late. We had uh, some technical issues last night that kept us from uh, from getting it in. But we are back. We've got a ton of good stuff for you. So we've got Westcott Eberts coming on to talk a massive week in recruiting for the Texas Longhorns, kind of rewriting the story of 2020 and writing a fresh chapter for 2021 and the Katy region. We've also got JT Van Gilder from Bring on the Cats to talk about the Kansas State Wildcats. We'll switch it up a little bit for downing the 40 preseason award season. So we're just going to do that. And then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So it has been a massive week of recruiting. We had not one, not two, not three, but four commitment since we last spoke. So Kyle and I, as we often say, are just kind of, we know enough to be dangerous, but sometimes we like to bring on people that actually know what they're talking about uh, to to give us some insight. So uh, we have, we brought the man himself, Westcott Eberts, to come on and give us a little insight into uh, the, again, big week in recruiting. Westcott, man, you doing all right tonight? I am. Thank you all for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Always good for us. We always get good feedback whenever you're on. People are like, hey, uh, that guy, he knows what he's talking about. We should we should try that more often. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you all. Everyone out there says that. We're, we're going to go through this chronologically. We The last time we talked recruiting, um, there was a different tone. We were, we, were, we were excited, but there was still a lot of room to be had. And then all within the span of like 72 hours, the story around the 2020 class changed thanks to, I guess, two names that we'll talk about. First one, um, four-star defensive tackle Vernon Broughton from Cy Ridge High School uh, was set to commit on his birthday. Crystal balls were going Texas direction when he delayed it a day. People got a little nervous, but uh, he d- still decided to commit to the University of Texas. Number 70 player, according to the 24-7 composite. Uh, number six uh, defensive tackle. Number 10 player in the state of Texas. Big kid, 6'5", 286. Big guy down low for Texas. Westcott, you've talked a lot about uh, Texas's recruiting as far as that uh, nose tackle position. So what does uh, Broughton bring to the table that you like and and how does this impact the the 2020 class moving forward yeah so i guess i would start by saying that you know i'm not necessarily positive that he's going to be a nose tackle uh certainly mm. you know he has the frame to grow into that position and he has been reclassified from a defensive end into a defensive tackle but you know i, I think the really big news here is that texas led for him throughout most of his recruitment and there's been a lot of criticism of Oscar Giles, the Texas defensive line coach, and his recruiting ability. And so I think Broughton was really key because he was a guy that Giles had to land for the not only the narrative of this recruiting class, but also to provide some of that high upside talent. And one of the reasons that he has so much high upside is because he was a basketball player through a lot of his early career. He's recently come to football. He started to gain good weight, and he's shown a lot of signs that he can operate in Todd Orlando's system. And whether that's as a nose tackle or whether that's outside, you know, as a defensive end where he can do some of the things maybe that Charles Amenahu did last year, uh, I think is yet to be determined. But he is a very clear fit for what Orlando wants to do. He was a guy that Texas had to land 
because he was so invested in Texas and his upside is so high. And I think it's also really important to remember that Oscar Giles has a very significant track record of developing players like Brian at Texas. You know, you go back and look at another Houston product, Brian Arakpo. I mean, Brian Robinson, like some of these guys. Giles has developed those players at Texas. And so it's not necessarily about where they are when they commit. It's about where Giles can take them. And one thing that's really important to remember is that Giles has coached the last two Big 12 Defensive Players of the Year in Puna Ford and Charles Amenehu. And both of those guys were on very positive trajectories before he really started to coach them up. But I would say that it was Giles that really helped them to be able to take the next step. And so when you evaluate a prospect like Broaden uh, within that framework, uh, it leads to a lot of optimism about the future of the Texas defensive line. And I think that that dovetails really nicely into the other guy, the other 2020 guy that that Texas got a commitment from. Uh, and again, this one we're gonna this will maybe a theme uh, of the of the evening at least. Uh, Van Fillinger from uh, Utah, the number 18 defensive end in the country, the number three player in the state. You know, three star guy, a you know in the in the 300s in in his recruiting ranking. But what really catches a lot of people's eye is are his testing numbers. You know, the kid was in what the 99th percentile when he mm-hmm. tested at the at the opening regional. I think he just posted uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's maxing out, hanging clean, 335 pounds, squatting 505 pounds, like pretty impressive athlete. And so, getting him a guy who's already got a lot of the physical talents into a program that um, can coach him up a little bit is, is big. So, what what do you expect? from a guy like Fillinger who who maybe has a lot to, to grow from a football sense but has all the athleticism you could ask for. Yeah, no, I think he's really a perfect complement to Broaden and, and the defensive line class that, that Texas is trying to assemble right now just because of what you mentioned with that potential. And what really stood out about his athletic testing um, at the opening regionals was uh, the agility that he has. And so he's a guy who's 200 50 pounds right now uh, will probably play at, at 280 plus right now. But but he has elite testing numbers in terms of his agility. And that tells me that he's a guy who can change direction. He can get in the backfield. He can use maybe uh, uh, multiple pass rushing moves. Um, if he gets in the backfield um, as a run stopper, he's a guy that can change direction well enough to compete with top-level running backs. And so really, like, you know, to me, you know, as an evaluator, as Texas assembles this defensive line class, you know, it's really good to see someone like Broaden, the top 100 prospect, has that high upside. But also the staff continuing to identify players like Fillinger who have elite athletic traits and who – you know, are, are testing very well in terms of their, their strength. Players that Yancey McKnight can continue to grow in his program. Players that Oscar Giles can coach up. And most importantly, that fit in Todd Orlando's system. And so, you know, that's why I see what's happening right now. And I think a lot of Texas fans have, have just had a lot of anxiety about everything regarding, you know, the defensive line position and recruiting around there and Oscar Giles and how competent he is in that regard. And I think this last week was really important for demonstrating the type of relationships that Giles can build and the ability of this Texas staff uh, to really add players who fit what they want and who are on very positive trajectories uh, to become impact players eventually at Texas. Yeah, and, and I mean, you kind of mentioned it, the coaching up, but also the, the, the Yanceying up. I, I mean, those are some pretty impressive PYTs, as I like to call them, pre-Yancey things. Um, you can just imagine what uh, what a guy like Fillinger is going to look like in a in a college strength conditioning 
program, but a guy who comes in kind of with all the tools. When we look at the 2020 class, we had uh, two defensive side uh, players. We also had two on the offensive side of the ball for next year's class as we start to fill that out. And one who I think everyone is excited about is uh, four-star quarterback Jalen Milrow out of, out of Katie Tompkins, who's the number three dual threat quarterback number 11 in Texas uh, third commit in that class just seems like you get those guys kind of at that point in this class where you're build around guys and it seems like they're starting to uh, pile those up I mean is is it just these two uh, podcast hosts or are you equally sharing the enthusiasm that a player like him can have at, at the University of Texas yeah no there's no question about that and you know there's there's a couple points that I'll get to about Milro but you know what really stands out to me about him is that you know, Tom Herman and Tim Beck have a a really superlative record of evaluating and developing quarterbacks. And so the important thing about that is that if you're a fan following Longhorns football, if they take a quarterback commit early, as you know they really need to do every year, you can be sure that they will be on the right trajectory, that they have the right mental mindset, and that they also have the tools that are necessary to become a strong college quarterback. Because I think one of the most positive and strong things about the Texas program right now is the fact that Tom Herman and Tim Beck are so good at evaluating and developing quarterbacks. And we've seen that, right? Sam Ellinger, look at his progress. They took a bet on Hudson Card last year when he was a guy who hadn't played quarterback at all. He was a wide receiver like Travis with Matthew Baldwin. And Card went on the exact trajectory that I think the Texas coaching staff projected. And I think Milrow, as you start diving into his attributes and the things that make him special, he's also a guy who's on that very similar similar uh, trajectory. And so one of the things that stands out about him is his very elite mental mindset. And that's one of the reasons why Texas took him is that he understands what it takes to be great. But it's more than that because he also has to have that natural ability. And when you turn on the film, the first thing that jumps out is the arm strength. And Hudson Card was a guy that I believe he had the highest velocity at Elite 11. And I think Jalen Milrow has even better arm strength than Hudson Card does. So just that natural ability – you know, Jaquindon Jackson is another guy that can really, you know, put mm-hmm. a lot, put a lot of torque, uh, put a lot of velocity on the football. Dylan Milrow is a guy that can do that. That jumps out on film. If you have that natural ability, that natural arm talent, everything else becomes possible at that point. Especially when you have good quarterback coaches like Tim Beck and Mike Tom Herman. But the other thing. Uh, that really stands out to me. You know, you see Hayden Connor's commitment, uh, you know, this morning, Tuesday morning. And so one of the things about Jalen Milrow that's really important is that he's a guy who has connections to a lot of those Houston area prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, really offensive linemen. It's a very good offensive line class in, in 2021. Texas needs to, to take advantage of that. But when you take a quarterback uh, commit, that player immediately becomes the leader of that recruiting class. And that's already paid dividends. Within several days, Texas landed a very talented offensive tackle in in Hayden Connor from Katie Taylor, uh, a place where Texas struggles to recruit. It's not easy for Texas to recruit in Katie, but the connections that Jalen Milrow has to those other players have already paid dividends. And, you know, you see his teammate – uh, the defensive end uh, to miss Adelaide. Hopefully, I'm saying that correctly. But uh, you know, he said today on Twitter that Jalen Milrow will be the best recruiter that Texas has ever had. Nice. And that's a very important opinion because if he believes that and he commits to Texas, that's important. But that also has reverberations throughout the 2021 recruiting class that could allow Texas to recruit at the level that's necessary to be able to compete for and win national championships. And they're on that path, but guys like Jalen Milrow and the connections that he has in Houston are really important 
to making sure that Texas can get to that position. And I think it's it's incredible that you you uh, talk about the the Hayden Connor commitment because that one more than anything I think came out of left field because everything that I had read up until that point was Aggie 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 and then because that's kind of what the Katy area tends to do if you're from Katy you're going to College Station so Hayden Connor kind of coming out of left field um, which it's hard for a man that big to sneak up on anybody six five three seventeen. And I think even more, not more important, that's the wrong way to say that, uh, just maybe as important as Hayden Connor, who's a huge piece, um, his teammate is Bryce Foster, who's the number one guard in the state of Texas, uh, on top of what could already be a monumental class with Tommy Brockermeyer at the other tackle position, the number three player in the nation. So, um, you know, Hayden Connor coming in, you talk about Milrose recruiting, like, how many more dominoes should we expect to fall from this uh, this commitment in Texas landing? You know, two guys that are kind of big in the state in the area of Katy in the Houston area overall. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure uh, immediately. You know how much is going to happen, but you know I th- I think it's definitely you know really important to continue to point out the extent to which first of all uh, you know the Texas staff is really good in Houston. You know, Corby Meekins, former Houston Westfield coach, uh, the 2018 class, you know, was really built around that. And, you know, as we've talked about on VON, on like, you know, one of the problems has been recruiting in the Metroplex. But I, I think, you know, the commitment of Milrow, the commitment of Connor gives Texas a lot of recruiting momentum in an area where they already have built-in advantages because their relationships of the coaching staff are so good in that area. So, you know, just to reiterate, I'm not sure, you know, Foster is going to end up at Texas and, you know, the really immediate things that will happen. But, you know, it really does stand out to me that when, you know, Connor produced and released his commitment video, Jalen Milrow was in it. And at the end of it, it's them together, you know, these, these former teammates, you know, growing up in the, you know, the Houston uh, recruiting area, you know, playing football together, that they're together and they're saying, who's next? And that's a really powerful statement. And Texas is now tapping into those connections and building on them. And they have a leader for this recruiting class, uh, multiple leaders for this recruiting class. And I do believe that ultimately that will pay significant dividends uh, in a year where, you know, especially as we mentioned, you know, Texas, like 2020, 2021, there's so much offensive line talent. Texas has done well in 2020 so far, good start in 2021. And if they can continue to add those pieces, then, you know, the offense with the quarterbacks that they've recruited, with the offensive linemen that they've recruited, uh, with Herb Hand as their position coach, that really positions uh, Texas well to have a lot of success. Well, and and I think too the you know the, the obviously on the field wins keep making that easier. But uh, one thing that you're seeing is a little bit uh, maybe of that uh, the the new car salesman uh, or the the new car smell I should say uh, used car salesman of Jimbo Fisher. You know, we're a year later. Herman had it kind of year one. You have to prove how you recruit after that. But this week it feels like two wins over the Aggies, right? I mean, Vernon Broughton um, seemed if you looked at Aggie Twitter to be a, a, a lock at one point in in their mind. So um, I mean, I don't want to you to definitively say who runs this state but i mean i think it's it's uh it's easily uh you can't say it's the aggies right now right is that is that the tea leaves that i'm reading or am i just drinking the kool-aid no i I think you're absolutely right about that and and these were certainly important recruitments in that regard as you mentioned broaden uh particularly uh connor you know Mm -hmm. and foster coming up you know guys from areas that typically lean very far towards Texas A&M. And, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's right. Like, you know, Texas A&M had that boost last year just from the optimism. They will continue to have a boost for the SEC cachet uh, that exists and the fact that a lot of prospects, uh, you know, right or wrong, I'm not trying to sit in judgment of them, but they believe that the SEC is, is their path to the NFL. And, and so I think one of the important things that Texas has to do in the coming years is to prove that, 
you know, under Tom Herman and under Todd Orlando, that they can put NFL prospects or that, that they can put prospects in the NFL on a level that the SEC does, because that, that that's an important, you know, competition. And, you know, I would definitely say that, uh, you know, the, the in-state landscape in, in Texas for recruiting, I don't think it's ever been more competitive from mm-hmm. Oklahoma to Texas A&M, you know, to Alabama, LSU, Georgia, all those schools. It's tough now. And, and I, I love that you said that there because it's, I mean, I think Texas will continue to be the biggest hotbed for talent. And I think with Milrow recruiting the Houston area, I think guys like uh, Jaquin and Jackson and Quay Davis recruiting the Dallas area for Texas, I think uh, this could be an incredible uh, turning point for Texas recruiting. Man, Westcott, thank you so much uh, for taking some time out. I know you had some other things on the schedule tonight you made some time for, so thank you so much, man. If they, people want to find you on the internet, uh, where can they connect with you? Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, SBN underscore W E S C O T T, uh, burnorigination.com, of course. Uh, connect with uh, Burn Origination on, on uh, Facebook. You can find it there. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. Always a pleasure, man. We are 38 short days away from football season. And so we are barreling through. We're coming toward the end portion the last uh, last third of our schedule preview so we're going to start with the Kansas State Wildcats and we have the distinct pleasure of having JT Van Gilder from bring on the cats with us today JT man how are you doing on this fine evening oh I'm doing all right I'm uh, uh, coming to you live from uh, beautiful Des Moines Iowa today instead of my my home in Manhattan but um, it's it's beautiful weather up here it's like 76 and and breezy it's just gorgeous can't ask for a better day in july i was not expecting you to go positive with being in des moines rather than being at home so that was a bit jarring for me i'm gonna be really honest with you but i'm glad i'm glad the weather's nice up there because it's been about a billion degrees everywhere else right yeah and uh i I think it's actually been nice back at home too this well today uh, of course it's been 100 degrees before that but it's you get up in this this part of the world and and temperature swings wildly. It's it's great. That's, Keeps you on your toes. That's the Midwest problem. That, that's that's the that's the thing that's driving me away from. I I, love, I I live in Oklahoma City and I love everything about living here except for the fact that we get all of the weather right. And the same thing kind of for right. Kansas, right? You get tornadoes, you get thunderstorms, you get snowstorms, you get hail and sleet. You basically get the worst. The only thing you don't get is hurricanes. Um, but you get we've had those vestiges come up though like i I think when harvey went through texas it hooked up and we got all all, a bunch of extra rain not not the true hurricane experience but you know but enough but enough to say it sucked right okay well we're not here to talk about the weather patterns of the midwest even though we probably (laughs) could do a whole podcast about that we're to talk some kansas state wildcat football so for just the the second time since 1989, there have been been a couple seasons in there, but um, I guess it'll be the third person in the last 30 years to take the sideline for the Wildcats after Bill Snyder uh, retired. So Chris Kleiman steps in. He took North Dakota State to, what, four national championships in five years? Um, so I don't Correct. know if a national championship expectation is fair for the Wildcats at this point. I feel like we can get that out of the way up front. Uh, but what I guess what would be fair expectations for the Wildcats under uh, under Kleiman in his first year yeah obviously I you know the roster is not in a shape that that he could just come in and and reproduce you know the success he's he's used to but um, you know most uh, you know the average K-State fan is looking for a you know a six and six type of season you know we want to there's there's a lot of talent at the top end of the depth chart um, but there's there's some some holes down down through there, and so you know it's one of those like well we think we can win a bunch of games, but it's also really easy to see a bunch of losses. Um, but but really, you know the the expectation is is that that he can do better than Snyder did last year. Um, you know that well, you know we could talk about it more later, but uh, you know that. There was some unease with how Snyder was running the program, especially last year, but even the last few years, and 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 so I think with the with the change of pace, uh, with the new coaches, 
Um, the the players seem fired up, and so it's it's that you know six and six, seven and five, that that really seems like that's that would be a, a good year. You know, a, a great year would be eight or nine wins. Um, you know, nobody's hoping for that five win, but that would be probably you know the floor is four or five. Okay, I mean that's that's. I mean, not a good year, but it's it's better than what you expect with a with a replacing a legacy head coach like Snyder and, and the Big Twelve being what it is this year with a lot of questions. There could be some games that surprise you. There could be some games that you know you you lose that you shouldn't lose. Which also there's a bunch of games on there that you could win uh, that you're probably not supposed to. And so you mentioned the kind of fan expectations. Um, you know, um, college football fans are not always the most open for change. So I really, I'm curious as to how the, the Kansas state fan base is reacting to Kleinman as kind of the new face of Kansas state football after three decades. Well, it was, it was really rough at first. Um, you know, that, no, that week, week and a half between Snyder officially retiring and Kleinman getting hired and that the first news, and you know, there were flirtations with, uh, um, Oh goodness! I already forgot his name. The guy at North Texas, um, Seth Luttrell. There you go. Um, and uh, Neil Brown, who's now over at, at West Virginia. And you know, there was talks about like, oh, we could get this coach, we could get this coach. And then, oh man, we're just going to hire the uh, this FCS guy. And you know, what's going to happen? Um, but he's really, you know, he, he's saying all the right things right now. He's he he seems like you know a Midwest guy. I mean, he's from Iowa. He's he knows this region. He, you know, he gets the people in this region. And, and so it's the, the fans have really flipped uh, for the most part. I mean, there's still some holdouts that are like that are just completely scared that nobody but Snyder can win at Kansas State. But for the the average and, and the, you know, the 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 completely purple tinted glasses fans, you know, he seems like the right guy to build on Snyder's foundation and move forward. Um, they just, it, it just has that, that presence that, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a winner. Um, that quiet confidence without being cocky, um, that, that really fits, um, you know, the, the ideal kind of person at, at Kansas state. And, and he seems like a, a cultural fit. I mean, like you said, he's, he's a Midwest guy. He's coming. North Dakota's not really the Midwest. It's more of the, the North. But it, it's kind of got that same small town uh, feel that, and not in a derogatory way. I grew up in a town of, I was pretty small at the time. So, like, he's got kind of that small town feel that seems like it would be valued by uh, some of those old, old worldly college football fans, which I appreciate. Um, so, the Wildcats do have uh, at least some. Uh, some consistency or something they know what they are getting from uh, with Skylar Thompson returning. Uh, they do have to re- replace his favorite tiger, target Isaiah Zuber uh, who transferred to Mississippi state. So what does the offense look like uh, with those pieces coming back or with the piece coming back at quarterback, uh, but still needing to replace two of your biggest offensive weapons? Um, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, <clears throat> he's mentioned that, you know, we got to replace Isaiah Zuber Um and then we also lost. Uh, we we had Hunter Risen, who's uh, who was supposed to be, you know, going to be the guy. He got himself in trouble with the law and then ended up leaving. So we lost like the two expected to be the two top receiving targets for Thompson um, already. Season hasn't even started yet. Um, and then of course we have to replace Alex Barnes, <clears throat> who's who went on uh, early to the NFL, Big Twelve rushing leader from last year, and. And the the real problem, uh, and one of the places where you see um, you know some of the 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 ends of the Snyder era was that um, Kleiman came in uh, in December and had zero scholarship running backs on the roster, which is not what you want to see. Uh, you know, at, at this level, you can't just replace running backs at this level. Um, you know, like they're uh, you know pieces uh, chess pieces and you just like oh, i'll just get a new one like no you've got to develop these guys especially at a kansas state um where you're not going to get a you know a five-star running back off the street um like you know maybe texas can or something like alabama they can just you know pull one off the bench and like oh there's a, a you know the fifth string guy is a, a five-star running back so um uh it 
I think the, the, the personnel that are, are left should be able to fit what uh, Kleiman and, and uh, Courtney Messingham, who's his offensive coordinator, were doing their last few years at uh, North Dakota State. Um, yeah, there were option pieces to it. it still, uh, I, I when I look at, at the offense that they ran at North Dakota State, I always want to say pro style. Uh, it's not what really they're running in the pros right now, but that's that's more of of how I see it from you know the terminology when I was growing up. That the kind of offense you'd see in the NFL maybe in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, where you've got you know some tight ends in the short patterns, two receivers, uh, uh, dual running backs. You know, not this you know single back and and stuff. It's so it's. Uh, I think the personnel will be able to fit, uh, but the real question is, you know, what what targets will emerge for Thompson? We've got Thompson. We've got all five starters on the offensive line. Well, not all five. We have four returning uh, starters on the offensive line. Another guy that's going to replace our our uh, uh, starting right tackle. He he started a game or two in the last year, so I mean, guys with experience. But it's uh, it's it's all those you know the skill positions. What's going to happen? Um, and I think that's that's got fans most nervous about the offense. You know, we got Thompson. That's going to be great. But if if he can't throw it to anybody, if nobody's going to catch the ball, then he's you know it's it's useless. The worst thing in the world is to have one or the other, right? You got great wide receivers, which there are a couple teams in the Big 12 that are dealing with that. You got good receivers and not a great quarterback. And then on the other flip side, you've got. You know, it sucks to have a great quarterback and questions on, on the other skill positions. And so uh, you mentioned Alex Barnes and, and kind of losing 1,500 yards of offensive production. Um, and in a pro-style offense, you mentioned it, which a pro-style offense in Kansas State seem, at least in my my estimation, to fit together like uh, just hand and glove. So uh, who's going to be the guy if you have two running backs in there and you have tight ends kind of in tight and running those middle routes, like who's going to be the running back uh, that kind of keys that whole thing off then? Um, uh, looking at right now um, uh, at two transfers that we, we got in. Uh, so uh, James Gilbert uh, was at ball state. He actually um, uh, led or he was uh, all first team Mac a couple of years ago. When Kareem Hunt was still at uh, um, was he at Toledo I think um, and you know runner up to that guy and um, then he got hurt and and then got stuck on the depth chart and so now he's he was a grad transfer he got here in the spring um, he's really probably going to be the guy out of the gate first um, but it's again it's a it's a complete unknown. Um, the other guy is uh, a guy from North Carolina um, that was, a, again, a grad transfer. Um, but he c- came in late. I, I think he'll be – he's just got to campus, I think, in July. So, you know, behind. Um, uh, otherwise, it'll be, you know, freshmen stepping up. I, I think they're going to have to get creative with with their running back usage um, and use – we might see some more uh, – uh, we'll still see the use of a traditional fullback. Um, that's something Snyder always had. Um, it's something most teams have gone away from, but it's easy to find those type of bodies in this region. And I, I think it's smart to, you know, to continue to use that kind of player. You know, it's a, a bigger guy, not necessarily fast enough to be a running back, not necessarily big enough to be a defensive end or a tight end, um, but it's still good at carrying the ball. And those guys make great fullbacks. You just, nobody uses them anymore. So they're just they're kind of in betweeners, but they fit what what Kleiman and Messingham want to do on offense. Yeah, I'm looking at the 2019 class, and there's a kid from from Tulsa that seems to fit that bill, like six foot one ninety running back. Uh, I'm like, oh, that that screams Kansas State running back to me in the best way possible. I love like I'm right. I, I'm an old school football guy, so I love seeing it. Yeah, and and you know there'll be some power runs and stuff. I don't think you know we're gonna see the return of uh you know the nebraska power eye or anything although i think that could be effective against you know uh, the the modern defenses that are all geared for the the spread pass and these lighter guys at linebacker and stuff you know if you had the bruisers you could just bowl over some people but uh um there's some good guys there's a, a an incoming recruit from um from lawrence in in kansas that is a is a fullback and you know kind of that traditional fullback that probably wouldn't have a role on a lot of teams, but he'll, you know, 
he'll be pushing for starting time year one at, at K-State. And that's not a bad thing. Love it. Again, fullbacks, more power. Uh, to, so we'll switch to the defensive side uh, because Kansas State has, has kind of made some money in the recent years on the defense. And so uh, defensively, Kansas State returns – probably three of their bl- biggest playmakers, at least from the pass rush angle uh, from last year, Daquan Patton, Justin Hughes, uh, at linebacker, and then Reggie Walker at a uh, defensive end. The Big 12 is a passing league. There's no if ands, or buts about it. And so having a good pass rush is paramount. And so what, what does Kansas State do uh, in what we're going to just go ahead and call like the year zero, kind of the rebuild year, uh, to build around those guys to hopefully, you know, hit that five or six win floor that, that you talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, it's, it's really going to start up front. Um, return three starters on the defensive line, um, uh, all big 12 selection, you know, preseason selection, Reggie Walker, like you mentioned, um, we got Trey Deshaun, who's a four year starter at defensive tackle. Uh, um, and, and then you got Wyatt Hubert, who's a, a sophomore, but he's been killing it. He was, I think he finished like third team, uh, all big 12 last year, uh, just a big kid stud, you know, one of those, uh, you know, fines out of, out of Kansas that, you know, if, if he'd been at a bigger school, he probably would have been a, you know, four-star recruit, but as it was, he was, you know, kind of flew under the radar and, and we were able to get him a few years ago. Um, but then the, the real question marks are, are behind them. Uh, you mentioned Justin Hughes. He actually got hurt um, in spring ball. And he'll be out for the season. I think he tore his ACL. Um, and so you got Daquan Patton, who's still rough around the edges. I mean, he's good in pass rush. He's really weak in coverage and tackling in space. Um, hopefully that's something he's worked on over the offseason. Again, we won't know until that first game rolls around. But uh, spring, he looked like he was at least figuring it out some more. Then uh, we get Elijah Sullivan back, who looked like the – um, was going to be the, the key starter at linebacker last year. Um, he got hurt early in the season, I think in the Mississippi state game last year and, and then had some rough games. And then finally was at, you know, yanked for the rest of the season just because, uh, he needed to get healthy. Um, which he, he finally is again, you know, he's one of those guys, he's fast. He can fly to the ball. He's good in coverage. Um, so really we're looking for him to, to step back up to that form that we expected at the beginning of last year. Um, but I know they're, they're changing some things up on defense. Um, Snyder was, was real big on, on trying to run the, the four, three, uh, into the ground, uh, you know, sprinkling some four, two, five with, with, uh, uh, you know, a nickel back and, and of course they had quite a bit of success with that nickel package, but, um, I think that's more of what we'll see with the, under the new defense is more of a nickel all the time. Um, playing a safety as that nickelback, and we're going to see a lot more um, of that run support role from from the outside uh, instead of um, just you know forcing the linebackers and the interior linemen to to handle those responsibilities. Um, I think we'll see a lot more switching um, in coverage, guys. Uh, you know, you trying to to cover those inefficiencies with with switching coverages and zones and and some other maybe more uh, for, for Kansas state, more exotic um, coverages that, uh, that we haven't seen here at the past, you know, that, that people all around the country are, are using in similar situations to cover those inefficiencies. We just, we haven't seen them here before. So uh, it'll be different. Uh, but I think that, you know, they, you know, they've had success against uh, uh, the the defensive the coaches have had success against power five teams running that system um, with FCS guys you think you know you're applying that system to uh, power five talent and it should only get better that that right there is is I think why they bring in a guy like Kleinman because he has had success with I mean, we'll just go ahead and say it, like lesser talent. And so him being able to recruit at a power five level is going to be really interesting. So we hit the the defensive line and linebackers. Um, Duke Shelley is a name that I think a lot of Big 12 fans are still uh, having nightmares about. He's he's graduated. Uh, A.J. Parker's coming back in the secondary. Um, we mentioned it about the pass rush just as 
important as the pass rush is pass coverage in the big 12 is of the utmost. So, um, you know, from the pass defense perspective, who are going to be the guys for the wildcats as it tries to find somebody to replace one of the better defensive backs uh, that the school seen in recent history. Um, again, you mentioned AJ Parker. He's going to be, um, you know, DB one, uh, covering the the best receiver on the opposing team. Um, the, the other name that, that pops around a lot is Walter Neal. He's uh, he's a guy that uh, he'll probably primarily play in the nickel role, but he's got the speed. He's got the coverage skills. He can play outside if they need him to. So, you know, in the, the situations, if, you know, two receiver looks, he can, he can play outside or he can cover that outside receiver if he has to um, without, without sacrificing anything on that. Um, then we get we get Denzel Goolsby back. Uh, he's been our uh, starting safety for uh, I think two or three years now. Um, you know, real high uh, football IQ guy. He's not necessarily the fastest guy in the field, but he's going to keep things in front of him. Uh, and then the other two uh, spots are still up. I, I know there's been a lot of competition through spring. Um, probably end up seeing some younger guys. Uh, a guy named Lance Robinson. He uh, he's really stepped up. He he played a few games at the end of last year under the new um, you know redshirt rule where they can play four games. I think he got all four of his in um, and and really impressed when he was on the field. Um, they just didn't want to burn that redshirt there at the end of the year. Um, and then uh, safety, we got a, a a JUCO guy that came in. Um, his name is Jonathan Alexander. Uh, big you know physical guy. Um, I'm not sure about his coverage skills, but I know he's, he's a beast in, in that, that third tier run support role. One of the questions I love to ask on this is like, it's, it's easy for us outsiders to kind of you know, pick and choose and look at the roster and look at the stats and see who's back and who's not. But like, what's one thing that maybe you're watching uh, about the Kansas state, you know, the Kansas state wildcats uh, that, that those of us outside of the program or outside of that sphere, maybe aren't looking at that. We should be. Um, I I'm looking at, uh, at, at the receivers. Um, I mean, we've got we've got Dalton Schoen, who's a name that people know. He's a returning starter, uh, former walk-on. Um, but there's there's a bunch of guys that um, that are there that are talented that are completely flying into the radar. Waikin uh, uh, Gill is a former walk-on that that's really impressed. There's a kid named Seth Porter. He's out of Texas. He's he's like. A midget. He's he's five six. I mean, he, he's like 160 pounds, soaking wet. But the dude can catch anything. Uh, watched him in spring ball. He was running those underneath, you know, slant routes. The, the that slot receiver role. I mean, if it was if it was anywhere near him, that thing was in his hands, and and he was you know, just getting everything. Uh, there was one a series um, that, uh, that I, I watched intently. Uh, Thompson threw threw at him four times. It was you know four for four, and and threw the meat of coverage. Um, and that's a name that that I I really think is is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, but but those the the receiver group overall, I, I, there's some talent there. There's some there's some guys there that could really make a name for themselves. I think they just uh, you know that with nobody returning. Then it's it's just a big question mark, and that's that's something that you know outsiders are, are just going to say like, well, I don't know, and and move on. So I love watching the Big Twelve offenses try to figure themselves out, and so I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, so moving on, we 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 didn't prep you for really any of this because you're just incredible. Uh, but yeah. what I, what I do want to do is we've got some less. Um, less serious questions that we're like to do at the end of the end of the show. And so the first one we, we do with all of our guests this year is we're asking them uh, just a simple question. So if you had to say one nice thing about your rival, the Kansas Jayhawks, what would you say about them? Um, one nice thing. Oh goodness. That's, that's a tough one. Um, um, they have, uh, it's it's they have a really nice uh, uh, campus location. It's it's up on a hill. It's it overlooks a lot of things. Like it's it's one of those like you know uh, classic um, you know you walk up and uh, it, it just it, their their campus looks nice. 
like the just where where it is and and the, the the physical location of it. I appreciate the pain that you put yourself through to come up with that answer. I really, <laughs> I really do. It's it's almost an unfair question to ask, but I really appreciate it. Uh, so the next rapid fire question. This is uh, this is from our, our co-host Kyle. Uh, so we talked about Coach Kleiman kind of coming from FCS and moving to to the FBS, and we're going to talk about Kleiman a little bit for the next two questions. So uh, he's moving from Fargo, North Dakota, moving to the Little Apple. Um, Fargo, outside of its football program, is probably most notable for both a movie and a TV show about criminals. Uh, So if there was going to be a show based on or set in Manhattan, Kansas, who would star in it and kind of what would the themes of that show be? Man, that's a tough one. It would probably be... Heck, it would probably be about the the, fo- the football team, or maybe maybe a, a, a text winner, you know, basketball story. But uh, Manhattan itself is it's a it's a great town. Uh, just nothing really crazy's ever happened there, which is a good thing, you know. Uh, it's not like it's a, a you know where you'd have some really random story. Um, uh, the best thing I can think of is a would be a fictional story. There's a a character that that kind of got created in the Manhattan area. His name is Johnny Caw, and uh, um, and you know the, the the mythology that was created is that you know he settled um, settled the Manhattan region and he got the Wildcats and the Jayhawks to stop fighting and and there's a a whole deal about it. But but that would probably be it. I don't. I have no idea who would play him. Um, maybe uh, maybe like Chris Hemsworth. You need a, a tall like. Like kind of Scandinavian looking dude uh, to to play him correctly, I think. I like it. That's that is not what I was expecting, and everything that I hope to get out of that. I love it. I was, <laughs> I was trying to find actors from that graduated from Kansas State, and I've got uh, Eddie Griffin is about the only one I've been able to find thus far. Uh, uh, our our big name is is Eric Stone Street. Okay, um, oh, our yeah. family, and he's been in a bunch of movies and stuff. But he's he's our like the big you know. Uh, on on TV, kind of supporter guy. It was at College Game Day a few few years ago. I mean, he's he's our face, I think, in that in that realm. Well, I just don't see him in a in a role for a movie about K State. Yeah, and and I, I don't know if tall and Scandinavian looking really describes uh, Eric Stone Street. No right. uh, no offense to the to the round fellas in the room because I'm a round fella. Uh, last last question. This one's uh, again equally ridiculous. So um, Bill Snyder kind of had his fashion trademark. So um, you know everybody likes to talk about the windbreakers and the Cortez shoes. Um, so. For for your new coach, uh, you know Chris Kleinman, what what should we expect, or what would be his signature look? You know, if Snyder had the Cortez and the windbreaker. Like, what what should we expect as a signature look from from Coach Kleinman? He is, you know, that that ultimate Midwest guy. So you're you're looking at a polo and khakis and sneakers. I mean, like, you know, you you pick a Kansan out of a, a lineup, and that's a polo and khaki and sneakers. That's you know. <laughs> It's it's good enough that that you can you can wear it to you know somewhere nice and it looks okay. It's also you know sporty enough that you can go and and play football in it. It's 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 the perfect outfit. That's exactly what I wanted <laughs> out of that answer. I was hoping you were going to say white New Balances, but you didn't go full dad swag. But that's okay, right? Well, um, it would still be Nikes. I mean, you know, it's you know we're a Nike school, so they'd still be Nikes. Fair, but, but probably you know white or, or gray maybe. I love it. Uh, absolutely. Maybe he just keeps the Cortez going. Who knows? Uh, but JT, man, thank you so much for coming on. If folks want to get some more of what you have to offer, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, we're at uh, bringonthecats.com. Um, uh, if you really want to follow all of the the purple things that I put in my, my Twitter timeline, it's uh, at JT Arkman, J-T-A-R-K-M-A-N. But uh, Bring on the Cats is definitely the best place. Uh, um, uh, a lot of, you know, sports stuff and, and fan takes and um, – we try to keep it uh, um, um, light and, and fun and, and have a good time and, you know, um, cover our, our cats. So I love it. Man. JT, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to hang out with us tonight. And so now is the part of the show where we uh, normally would give some shine to the sports that don't get as much shine, but because there's not really any other sports going on. And it's that weird time of year where we're like, 
I don't know, six weeks out from football season, and they're saying, hey, he, these are the 45 people that could potentially win this award this year. Uh, it's preseason award season, so we're going to do that really, really quickly. We're going to start places near and dear to my heart. We're going to start in the trenches. So uh, Zach Shackelford, center, the man in the middle, up for the Remington Award and the Outland Trophy. Joining him on the list is Texas grad transfer Parker Braun. So Texas has two of its interior linemen up for the potential interior lineman of the year award. That side note has gone to defensive tackles for the last two seasons. Yeah, it's exciting. We we have the beef there. And again, yet again, I say these these postseason lists will probably have a lot more Cosme about them. Um, I have a feeling he's going to have a monster year, but uh, glad to see two of the other guys. Uh, on there, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to be excited about the big boys. Yeah, and they have they they haven't done the like. Is there a word for tackles? Because the Remington specifically is center. Outland is interior alignment, so Cosme wouldn't be eligible for either of those, right? Is there, there a specific is just, tackle award? I, no, there's two answers to that. Yes, I'm sure there is because there's like actually three thousand different awards. You don't realize there's a ton of them joints, but uh, but yeah, the um, there is one just for the overall best college football um, offensive lineman, regardless of uh, of position, inside, outside, or center. Remington being center, Outland being interior offense or defense, and then the Joe Moore. Oh no, Joe Moore's for the whole unit. Um, ooh, I'm sure. Th- oh. Uh, I'm sure there Some, is, but somebody yeah. somebody listening to this podcast is screaming in their car or like just dropped a weight on themselves working out because they're like these two morons. <laughs> we are upfront with the fact that we are amateurs at best. So moving behind the offensive line, Keontae Ingram on the Doak Walker watch list, which would make him the third Texas Longhorn if he can bring this iron home to win the award. Now, third with an asterisk because Ricky won it twice, but <laughs> uh, he would join Ricky Williams and Deontay Foreman as winners of the Doak Walker Award. The Doak Walker didn't exist when Earl Campbell played. Yeah, and in Wild, that a, a couple you know really incredible Texas running backs weren't on that list. Cedric Benson didn't get it uh, in his year, unbelievably. Um, he, the thing with uh, we talked about this when we did our, our drafting the best players uh, edition said had like four really good years um, and didn't necessarily have one that was like the oh my gosh year um, but career wise if there was a lifetime achievement of college football four years being a lifetime uh, he would have got one of those but yeah Benson obviously Priest Holmes was better in the uh, the pros even than he was in college so it's hard to think he didn't get it Jamal Charles so there's some legends who didn't get it so if Keontae uh, can make that step up and put himself in those ranks that's that's elite company to be associated with Oh, I was going to say, how did, how did Henry Melton not get on there either, you know? Big beef jerky. Come on, man. So, Colin Johnson along the outside on the Bolitnikoff award list. Sam Ellinger, both the Davey O'Brien and the Maxwell Award. So, what have been traditionally known as the Heisman runner-up trophies. Uh, Sam Ellinger's on the list. Uh, rightfully so, yeah. I mean, the uh, we, we talked about... Uh, Van Fillinger, which, you know, he, I, I don't know if that was like a Joe Theismann, Theismann thing, if he changed his name to be Fillinger to sound like Ellinger. Sam is that level of, of famous now. People are changing their names to sound like him. Um, so, I mean, it's it's natural that he's going to take home at least these two, if not the, you know, the ones above it as well, or excuse me, the one above it as well as the best college football player in America this year. Switching sides of the ball, uh, Caden Stearns, probably the most decorated thus far. So uh, the Bednarik Award, the Jim Thorpe Award presented by Paycom, shameless plug, and the Bronco Nagurski Award. Joining him on the list is Brandon Jones for the Bronco Nagurski Award as well. So the back end of the defense, highly decorated, nothing in front of them on the defense. Yeah, DBU and in, in the uh, the Paycom Jim Thorpe uh, is a uh, is is a big one. But you listed Bernard Thorpe and and Nagurski. I didn't hear you list the um, Leon O'Neill's father award. Did was that that's different? Okay, maybe that's no. the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know. I'll leave that alone. Oh man, someone should have given Leon that advice. So now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe. Ruiz. So Kyle 
What are you banging the drum on this week? This week, I'm I'm banging the drum on something near and dear and true to my Austin heart, and I think this you know we could we could jointly have a discussion here about this because I think it's something that uh, ties us together uh, in ways and saddens us both uh, equally. Um, I remember when I arrived as an 18 year old, I was the first. Uh, first generation college student. No one in uh, my family had had been to UT. My brother played uh, college football, but at a different school, um, and uh, and so I, I really didn't didn't know what to expect. What I was getting myself into. Uh, I came from San Antonio. I had a love for Mexican food, and and my 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 big brother type at, at UT. My my mentor who guided me through and showed me the ropes. Uh, none other than my current podcast co-host gerald took me to a little restaurant that he said this place will remind you of home you can come here anytime uh it's also very close to my apartment you can come here anytime and uh, expect a good solid meal you know what you're going to get the people are going to be friendly and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg um and we sat and we broke not saltines at the time but just regular chips dipped them in salsa uh, and had a greasy steaming plate of enchiladas and i felt like i was going to be able to make it through the next four and a half uh, years at the university of texas and of course i'm talking about el patio many many folks over the past 65 years i'm sure have shared a story similar to looking for kind of if not the home cooking and comfort food they knew at least the friendly and warm welcome of uh the the owners the uh for many became friends uh the joseph family uh who you know for 60 plus years stood right off of uh right off of campus as as a, as a beacon with their their neon sign in the in the light saying welcome come on in there'll be a smile and a and a plate of enchiladas for you my favorite guy the waiter longtime waiter I can't remember his name. It's been too long now, but who would come refill your tea and say, whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. Um, just just stories abound. Good times were had. Uh, and it was announced that um, on their own terms, they've, they've done it for a long time. And they're ready to do something else, see, see where it takes them. They are going to be closing down August 9th, uh, the iconic University of Texas restaurant. So um, an unbelievable cheers and thank you and hook them to the Joseph family. Uh, it is a great loss for all of us, for fathers, sons, even grandfathers who shared a bond of um, of going to this restaurant and seeing a lot of the same faces for five or six decades. So uh, a, a sore loss. And, and Gerald, I, like I said, it's, it's one of my fondest memories that uh, you showed that to me and I was able to pass it on and show it to multiple others uh you know pay it forward style so uh a sad day for for all the austin community this is this is great like my my roommate that freshman year michael ricks is the guy uh he listens to the show occasionally like he was the one that introduced me we lived literally four minutes from that place we lived in this little terrible apartment complex in west campus uh and we would go there way too often that's most of my freshman um 15 ish uh, was from <laughs> the tacos at, at el patio like i remember one time they knew our order so well they saw us in the parking lot and started it we were in and out and 13 minutes i uh i timed it like it was one of those like from from door to door to door it was like 13 minutes just wolfed down some tacos and went about our day and so like it's crazy it we can wax poetic about what's going on in Austin currently and, you know, small businesses being uh, being squeezed out and those types of things. Rest in peace, Hutt's hamburgers as well. Uh, but it's just it's just crazy uh, to see. And, and a lot of my memories are going with me. If you uh, if any of you are trying to hit it before they close, August 8th is the date that they are shutting the door. So if you are in the Austin area or will be in the Austin area in the next couple of weeks, uh, do yourself a favor. Check it out as an institution. They've got pictures on the wall with players and coaches. I think there's a couple of pictures of Mac Brown in there mm -hmm. uh, enjoying the fair. The owners are incredible people. Man, check it out before they close. You're missing out on an Austin original. I remember when players was the first of these that it's like, oh no, Austin is changing and it, it, it hit a lot of people hard but players was very good um fried pickles are better than the burgers um el patio legitimately i don't know what it is austin but you better figure out a plate of cheese enchiladas that i can come in and find if you're gonna take away you must also give it so send us your uh send us your best uh el patio replacement options this is 
actually the replies of Texas I maybe am most excited about in the history of this podcast. Uh, I love me some cheesy, greasy uh, steaming plate of enchilada. So hit us in the mentions with replies of Texas. If you do send a reply of Texas and I go to figure this place out and they have a legitimate website, I'll be a little upset. If that legitimate website says anything about farm to table, I'll be real, real upset. That's not the Mexican (laughs) food I need in my mentions. I need some government cheese on them enchiladas, but that's all we've got for you this week, man. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can find me at uh, my my uh, new to be launched soon uh, Mexican food reviewing uh, handle at Government Cheese, uh, <laughs> and you can find me on the wider internet uh, at all. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, which if government cheese is still available on Twitter, we're two for two on how the heck is that still available? Uh, Twitter handles. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Whiskey, whiskey. Whiskey.